0: The Daily Tap is live for Friday. Why Corbin Burns and Christian Yelich returning to prominence could mean something bigger for the Milwaukee Brewers. We'll also talk about the massive Brewers and Braves series this weekend. We'll also look back at the Philly series. We're going to also discuss an interesting comment from Diana Rossini about uh, Jordan Love being under the most pressure in the NFL. I actually don't think Jordan Love is the least pressured guy in the NFC North. I'll explain that later. And I'll also talk about the complicated relationship between Giannis Kumbo and Greece, Greek national basketball. Before we get going, just a reminder, social media, Keg on Twitter, Keg Sports, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. We are on threads, but man... Threads died quick. That blew up like Oppenheimer. Uh, I don't know. I have not seen it yet. No review. Not like saying it blew up. It It was supposed to be an atomic bomb joke. It did not work. That's okay. We'll keep rolling. Um, we use Friday the podcast, uh, Apple, Spotify. I don't know why you would after that awful fucking joke. But if you're already subscribed, drop it in the group chat. Tell him, forgive the bad joke at the start. He won worse jokes in high school. We're obviously feeling a little punchy on this Friday. Uh, so forgive that. Drop it in the group chat. Get excited about Corbin Burns and Christian Yalich returning to prominence. Let's get into it now. Corbin Burns has been awesome in the month of July. It has been an absolute masterclass for the last few games. Now, I hate the term masterclass, I think it's overused. I think it's a easy one that we all can, can use. But, but honestly, that's what Corbin Burns has been for the last month plus. Ever since he had his meeting with Matt Arnold in New York and Matt Arnold told him he wasn't gonna get traded, Corbin Burns has been a different pitcher. Now, conspiracy Chuck could get on his tinfoil hat and tell you that Corbin Burns was maybe not necessarily sabotaging the season, but he wasn't listening to Chris Hook. He was doing his own thing. He was still mad about the Josh Hader trade, and he thought that he was going to be the next guy on that Summer Jam screen, but that didn't happen. Matt Arnold told him, hey, look, you're not getting traded. We have no intention of trading you this year. And maybe he said it all time, I don't know. I wasn't there, I wasn't in the room. But since then, Corbin Burns has pitched really fucking well. And Corbin Burns has done different things. He went away from the two-strike cutters. He realized that he had a pretty good curveball, a curveball that people do not know he has. They are, they're are already like, they're sitting on the cutter, they're sitting on the cutter, and now you have to worry about a curveball. And I guarantee you those two-strike cutters will come back now that everybody is saying, okay, we have to prepare for the curveball, so here comes the cutters. And once Corbin Burns started mixing his pitches, he became Corbin Burns, again, he had 10 strikeouts today. He had 13 strikeouts in his game against Cincinnati on Friday. Uh, He's just been otherworldly. And I think that you have to admire that. And that makes the Brewers so much better as a baseball team, right? Corbin Burns being the leader of this rotation, a guy that you can rely on every five days in may in in april frankly really since this, since this turnaround in july you couldn't really rely on Corbin burns in that same way you couldn't say every 5 days corbin burns was going to go out there and fucking shove and be an awesome pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers that just did not exist and now it's back and that is that makes the brewers a a much better team and they've already they already have really good pitching their bullpen Is immaculate. It's one of the best bullpens in baseball, if not the best. I think there would definitely be a case. Kurt Hogg had a stat today that the Brewers bullpen has given this team almost seven wins. On the year. And if you think about how it was put together. I had concerns about this bullpen to start the year. I was like, I don't really know what this bullpen looks like besides Devin Williams. I was out on Matt Bush. Was right all along on Matt Bush, by the way. I had someone try to tell me. He's like, well, it's variants. And you never know if relievers. Like, fuck that. Matt Bush. Matt Bush wasn't good from the start. I I was not a Matt Bush guy. Uh, Was on that island. Happy that everyone joined me sooner rather than later. Uh, But... Then the other part of it was Elvis Pregero came from the Hunter Renfro deal. Joel Payamas came from the Uh, William Contreras deal, and those guys have become awesome, vital resources. Hobie Miller hasn't allowed a run since May 24th. He's been the steady sort of B reliever for the Milwaukee Brewers. Yes, they've had some trouble kind of filling that last role, but then Abner Uribe comes in there and throws absolute heat today, striking out Nick Castellanos and Bryce Harper, and all of a sudden you see see a new path of Hobie, Milner, Abner, Uribe days. And guys like Pianis and Piguero can get some rest and not necessarily have to pitch every fucking day. And it was good to get Devin Williams also a day off. basically pitched four games and what, six over the road trip. But I, I want to get back to Corbin Burns because it, this, this is something that the Brewers have been missing. They've been missing the consistency out of the starting rotation. And they haven't had it really all year. Because Brant Woodruff goes down with an injury. Uh, Freddie Peralta has, you know, he came back to life uh, against Cincinnati. We'll see against Atlanta tonight. I'm, I'm dubious to say the least. But Freddie Peralta has not been the same Freddie Peralta. You've had Colin Ray as your really your guy who's pitched the most out of anybody besides... Uh, Burns and Peralta so Colin Ray has to be your third guy technically that's we'll just put it in quotation marks and Colin Ray is Colin Ray he's nothing exciting Colin Ray is like the most boring sex you could think of that's what Colin Ray is now is it still good sometimes yeah is it sometimes really not worth it like why did I even bother yeah that that too but Colin Ray is at least getting the job done and then you have Julio Turan who he just has to figure out those first innings. I still feel like there's hope for Julio Turan. I feel like the Renaissance is over, but I, I do believe like there is something there with Julio Tehran. And then Adrian Hauser has been a surprise. I think Adrian Hauser has been a lot better than any of us thought in that starting role. But Corbin Burns can be the leader of that rotation in a playoff, in a deep run, if you get Brandon Woodruff back and the shoulder and everything checks out and he looks like the Brandon Woodruff of old. If you can figure something out with Freddie Peralta and have Freddy Peralta be more of a reliable guy, then you have three guys that you can go to war with, that you can go into a seven-game series with. And even if Peralta isn't there, but Tehran or Colin Ray, honestly, steps up and they can be that guy then that's fine. Then fuck it, we ball. And Frank Peralta is the long man. You might get Aaron Ashby back uh, in September. I don't know if Aaron Ashby is going to be a starter. He might be in that sort of long relief role and be a starter for next year. Jacob Mizarowski, they think could be up this year. The top prospect for the Milwaukee Brewers from a pitching perspective. They think that guy could ascend to the big leagues this season. That's how good his stuff is. The Brewers have a legitimate shot with their pitching. And their hitting has started to come along. And that makes the Brewers a lot more scary. And that starts with Christian Yelich. It's not a surprise that the same thing we talked about with Corbin Burns, we're talking about with Christian Yelich. And, we, and we've and we spoken about Christian Yelich's return and he's back. I feel like at this point we got to stop saying he's back. Because it's just Christian Yelich being awesome again. He's has in 284. He has 14 home runs. He had a three-run homer today that was basically the scoring for the Brewers. And he has 56 RBIs and he's OPS of over 800. Yelich is playing really well. I realize nobody does RBIs anywhere. I was like, RBIs. But Yelich has been the catalyst. Yelich, this is the Yelich of old. This is the Yelich that we've come to expect as Brewer fans. Yelich delivering and attacking first pitches and you know always giving the offense a shot and thinking all right if Yelich is at the plate in this inning the Brewers are going to have a chance to potentially score a run and that is what Christian Yelich is providing for this Brewers offense and it seemed like at You know, certain points of the season, it was Christian Yelich and everybody else. Pretty ironic given his struggles the last couple of years. But now everybody is starting to go along. And the Brewers have sort of had an infectious way of hitting the baseball. They've really sort of honed in on how they handle left-handers and what they're doing, you know, in terms of early innings, because I think there's a changed mindset with. Let's attack early. Let's get on these guys early. Because if we give our starters a lead, and our our bullpen for that matter, we're probably going to win this game. As we get to that fourth run, the bullpen's got us. The bullpen's been so good this year that we just need to get there. And Christian Yelich's approach has been special. I think it's been you know a joy to watch. He should have been a fucking all-star. It's an absolute bummer that he wasn't but Yelich has become a feared hitter again. And maybe not in the same sense of you know, 30, 40 home runs, but in the sense that the, if the, they're runners on base, a team on the other side is going to be feared of what they do with Christian Yelich. But here's the problem. Even if they try to work around Yelich or not necessarily give Yelich something to hit, there's William Contreras behind him. And William Contreras, while this is more about Yelich and Burns, William Contreras deserves some love. He's hitting in 412 in the month of July. We talked about it on Tabby the Keg yesterday. Make sure you listen to that if you haven't. But he, again, today adds a clutch RBI single. It's 4-0 Brewers in the seventh inning. When Yelich can't produce, Contreras does. And that, to me, is taking this offense to another level. Is William Contreras basically being that reliable two-hitter For Christian Yelich, and we saw this with Willie Adamas in 2021. You know, kind of being that productive two-hitter. Yelich was not this same player, but now you get the productive two-hitter plus Christian Yelich, meaning that those first two batters are hell on earth for teams. And now, and now it comes down to can you just figure out the middle of the order because the bottom of the order is actually kind of set in place. Andrew Monasterio is playing really good baseball. Ride that shit out until it falls apart. It's Owen Miller-esque in May, right? We saw Owen Miller just red hot. Couldn't stop hitting the ball. Ride Monasterio out. Fuck. If Monasterio hits third tomorrow, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to complain if I see Monasterio near the the, the cleanup spot. Fuck it at this point. If the guy's hitting the baseball, I don't care about the power as long as he's making contact. Joey Weimer's had moments, especially at home. He's hit really well at American Family Field. Bryce Perkins, you know, had a a double that scored a run on, was that Tuesday night? Yeah, no, I'm sorry, Wednesday night. Like, so there is ample opportunity on this Brewers offense that goes, you know, in that bottom of the order. It's just fixing that middle. And I think that's what they'll do at the deadline. I do think there's going to be a move. I don't know how big the move is going to be. But I, I, I wonder, and, and again, I'm not doing Otani. We, we talked about that yesterday, the ridiculous nature and Brewers fans sort of setting themselves up for failure. But I do wonder if Matt Arnold's starting to kick the tires on something a little bigger, unlike an Eloy Jimenez, right? I, I, I put it out there on Twitter, Eugenio Suarez. Um, now that wouldn't be as big as Jimenez, but... I just wonder, are they really gonna try to push hard here for a cleanup guy and get one? And not just push hard and strike out or get a a fringe guy like an Adam Duvall or, you know, we we all remember Eduardo Escobar in 2021. Now, granted, Escobar had a pretty solid year, but he was a fringe guy, right? Getting an absolute game changer, you know, at the first base position. A Joey Menzis, maybe, who's like 31, but the guy hits dingers and he's under team control till 2029, I believe. Like, uh, maybe. Or Candelario and Menzis and try to do a bigger deal with the Nationals. I just wonder, Menzis, I think it's Menzis, actually. I actually apologize for the butchering of the name. But, like, they, I think, have to think bigger now because of the play of Yelich and Burns. This makes the Brewers a different baseball team. They suddenly have star power. Remember last year we talked about how the Brewers didn't have that star power. They didn't have that guy. They just kind of were flailing in the wind. We can debate all day until we're blue in the face about the Josh Hader trade. But that team kind of was a rudderless ship. This team has life because of Christian Yelich, because of Corbin Burns, because of Devin, Devin Williams. There is a lot there. And I think we need to start thinking a little bit bigger about this team. Now, could everything fall apart against the Atlanta Braves? Could they get swept by the Atlanta Braves? Absolutely. Abso-fucking-lutely they could. The Atlanta Braves are the best team in baseball. I have no qualms about saying that about the Atlanta Braves. This is not going to be an easy series. Now, the Braves have been struggling a little bit. And their starting rotation is a little bit in flux uh, with Mike Strapoca starting tonight, who has not been good since coming back from injury against Freddie Peralta. It could be a first to 10 game at American Family Field. Then you have Adrian Hauser against Unknown. And then you have Julio Tehran revenge spot against Bryce Elder. Bryce Elder has been awesome until his last two starts. His last two starts have been an absolute mess. Uh, so I don't know if we're gonna get that Bryce Elder or we're going to get the Bryce Elder that has, we've seen the last two week, two games but you avoid Spencer Schrider in both uh, appearances against the Braves which is great which is very helpful for the Brewers I I guess it's not going to be Char- oh, so Charlie Morton will pitch on Tuesday in Boston so you will not see Charlie Morton so who who be their pitcher I'm trying to figure out who is their guy Oh Colby All that's right this was the Colby Allard all spot. So I wonder if they're going to bring up Smith-Share, uh, one of their top prospects, A.J. Smith-Share, or they have Dylan Dodd. They have so many guys. <laughs> it's just nuts. It's so stupid. Uh, so I, I would assume they bring up one of those guys, Dylan Dodd, a lefty, but we have seen the Brewers hit lefties. So we'll, we'll see what the move is for the Atlanta Braves, who they're calling up, who who's making that that big decision. But yeah, it's it's going to be a tough series. You gotta play really solid baseball. The Braves are never out of games. Uh, the brewer if the Brewers start hot and they get up early, like we've seen before, that lead isn't safe. You just keep adding and adding. Matt Olson is playing great baseball right now, and that short portion right is definitely terrifying. And Fred Peralta, who's had issues keeping the ball in the yard against a Braves team that absolutely bangs, is not a great thought. Uh, but you have to have confidence in this team. This team's played really well in, in June, July, and they've played like one of the best. Now it's kind of time to act like one. They don't need to win every game. They don't need to sweep the Braves. They, honestly, if they take three out of, if they, they go, you know, three and three or two and four, I'll probably live with it because Corbin Burns is doesn't pitching in any of these games. I find to me that's that takes down a notch but hopefully there's some areas of opportunities and gives us and gives some, some more fans reasons to believe cuz I was already pretty in on this team but now I'm starting to push my chips in now I'm starting to think a little bigger now I'm starting to think that this isn't just a playoff team and you know whatever happens the playoffs happens I think this is a you know NLCS fringe world series contender if things stay this stay the same way And you make some moves. Because with the bullpen you have, that goes a long way in the postseason. And with Corbin Burns and Christian Alex returning to star star power, the the Brewers' ceiling is getting a little bit bigger. All right, let's move on to Jordan Love and the pressure that Jordan Love will be under. So this new podcast uh, with Diana Rossini on Ryan Marcillo's podcast that was Tuesday's show. Uh, there was a lot of Jets talk in there. So if that triggers you for some reason, uh, I would not recommend listening to it. But but there's also conversation about Rossini R- and the Rogers number and the whole thing. But there was one little nugget I'm going to take out of it from the Green Bay Packers, about the Green Bay Packers. And it was about Jordan Love. And Rosillo asked uh, Rossini if who's under the most pressure this year? Who's under, like, where they're just going to bail and they're just going to say, all right, this is a one and done thing. We're we're not going to have you as our quarterback next year. And she said, Jordan Love. She said, it's really unfair. She recognized that, but she thinks that Love is, you know, under the most amount of pressure. And if it doesn't work out this year, that the Packers will move on. I think Diana while I respect her work and definitely enjoy listening to her and I, I think she does a really good job like not taking herself too seriously as a journalist but taking herself seriously enough I really appreciate her craft so that's all to say I, I think she's very wrong on this and actually I, I, I think that Jordan Love is actually under the least amount of pressure in the NFC North let me explain uh, and then I will also argue Diana's to Diana's defense after it. The Green Bay Packers are going to give Jordan Love a at least two years. I think they're going to, it's a two-year contract. I think they will give Jordan Love those two years to show what he's made of. I think that this, as we talked about yesterday, a foundation year for the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers are trying to build something here. Now, could that result in an NFC playoff appearance? Yes, because the NFC is historically weak, in my opinion. Could it also result in the Packers being 500 or a little bit under 500 and adding some pressure to not only Love, but Matt LaFleur, Brian Gutekunst? Yeah, that I think that's also very much on the table. But I also don't think that Green Bay is going to decide everything to this year. They are a patient organization they're an organization that takes their time. They're not one that immediately throws the baby out of the bathwater, which I don't know if you can say that phrase anymore, but fuck it, it's Friday. We're going to go for it. And, like they they just don't do that. That's not what the Packers are. Joe Barry's still the fucking defensive coordinator. If they actually were that team, Joe Barry would, would have lost his job in week 8 or week 9 or whatever. Like Joe Barry wouldn't be here. Aaron Rod, they wouldn't have drafted Jordan Love. Or they would have traded Jordan Love and said, oh, we got this great thing with Rodgers. We're going to deal Love because we're Rodgers guys for life. He's going to retire a Packer. No, they were patient with Jordan Love. They were patient with Joe Barry, even though that makes us all want to pull our hair out. They are going to give Jordan Love a little bit of time. And what's crazy to me is I think Love is under the least amount of pressure in the NFC North. Look at Kirk Cousins. He's on his last year of his deal. Kirk Cousins is in a contract here. It doesn't really sound like the Vikings are gonna bring Kirk Cousins back. I think that if the Vikings are struggling early on in this season, they could trade Kirk Cousins in the middle of the year. If a team's thriving, but they have a bad quarterback. Like let's just say you bring up back the Jets. Like let's say it's the Jets from last year, right? Where they have an awesome team but they, they don't have a quarterback or a quarterback goes down with an injury. Say like Trevor Lawrence gets hurt, but the Jaguars are a six and two team. And then the Jaguars are like, fuck it, we're gonna trade for Kirk Cousins and try to get to the playoffs and maybe potentially a little bit more. Now that's a risky proposition with Kirk Cousins. We all know this, but I do think there's a chance the Vikings could be bad next year. The biggest nightmare I have, the thing that gives me the most cold sweats right now about football, maybe not the most, but is the Vikings drafting Caleb Williams or Drake May? But Caleb Williams is the one where it's like, oh my God. Like uh, that that's one where I get just chills thinking about. But Kirk Cousins, I feel like, is under more pressure because he's in a contract here. He needs to perform. There there will be a team that will want Kirk Cousins next year. Whether it maybe is the Raiders, who don't really have a quarterback, they have Jimmy Garoppolo, but what's that? And he's had injuries and the whole other thing. Like there will be Tennessee Titans, right? They're gonna be off the Tannehill money next year. Like, will Tennessee Titans want Kirk Cousins? Like Kirk Cousins is gonna be, you know, a return to Washington, right? Uh, there is going to be a market for Kirk Cousins. It might even still be Minnesota. We'll see. But it seems like Minnesota wants a new voice at quarterback. And that, I think, creates just more pressure than what you ever love. Let's talk about Jared Goff. Jared Goff, their expectations are sky high for Jared Goff. Everybody's back in on Jared Goff. It's like an actor who you know, just doesn't, you know, kind of like goes away for a little bit and doesn't necessarily have a lot of good movies. I think like McConaughey, like, right? Matthew McConaughey for a long time just did like rom-coms and did a bunch of bullshit movies and was just this kind of, he was just there. He was just kind of flailing in the wind. Then he started doing True Detectives. Then he started, he did that movie Mud. I don't know when the McConaughey started, but it did. And then it won him a fucking Oscar with Dallas Buyers Club. That's kind of where Jared, I don't think Jared Goff's at Oscar level. I feel like that's getting back to a getting back to the Super Bowl. But I, I do think there is a huge amount of expectations with Jared Goff this season and the Lions to deliver. There Jared Goff right now has two years left on his deal. He has not got a new deal. The Lions could have had an out here with Jared Goff, but they did not take it. They, they, they rolled the dice. And next year, Jared Goff will make $21 million, which is not much for quarterbacks these days. And then he will be an unrestricted free agent at age 31. Jared Goff with one year left on his deal, expiring deal in NBA terms, uh, is a tradable asset. And if the Lions are bad and the Lions become the same old Lions again, and they're in the running for one of the quarterbacks, whether it's Bo Nix, whether it's Jordan Travis, I don't think they're going to be bad enough to be in the Williams and May conversation. But what if they want to trade up? They have a ton of fucking picks. What if the Lions, you know, just go for it and say, you know, whatever team tanks this year is bad. We'll give you Jared Goff and then we're going to get picks and we're going to basically reverse engineer the whole Matt Stafford deal. And it's kind of the uh, another version of it. What's stopping them from doing that? And I just think there is an inherent amount of pressure on golf to deliver because the Lions have been such a fledgling franchise. And this is sort of the moment for Detroit. This is supposed to be the big year for the Lions. And I just have so many questions if they're going to step into it. They're playing, like, add this to it. Like, think about this they're playing on Thursday night football to kick off the fucking season. The Detroit Lions. Could you imagine telling your ninety-five year old self, not 1995 year old self that maybe, maybe actually, let's let's take let's fast forward there. Like your two thousand and two self when they drafted Mike Williams and Charles Rogers. Could you imagine telling that kid, like, hey, the Lions are going to be on prime time to start the season. We also start the season on Thursday night. It's weird. I know. And <laughs> you'd be like, what? Uh, like the Lions, man, have never got that sort of love, and they are getting it this season. How how does Jordan Love have more pressure than that guy? How? Then lastly, Justin Fields. Justin Fields has the most pressure of anyone. It's maybe not a one and done, but the pressure on Justin Fields is immense. It is absolutely immense. If jo- if Justin Fields doesn't perform there's going to be, I don't want to say riots in the streets. That's a little far. But there, there's going to be just an absolute sh- pants shitting by all Bears fans. And they've set themselves up for failure. Colin Coward, who i am never, I'm not like the biggest Coward guy. I'm actually not a huge Coward fan at all. I respect what he does, though. I just think some of the Giannis takes and Rogers takes throughout the years, whatever, I don't need to give you my reasons why. But he called Justin Fields a YouTube quarterback yesterday. That was so fucking perfect. That is what I've been trying to call him for the last few weeks. I was with some Bears fans at a bash party. And I was like, oh, he's a fantasy quarterback. He just looks good on your fantasy team. And then Coward, being a professional, being better at that than I am, is like, yeah, he's a YouTube quarterback. His highlights are awesome, but we don't actually know what we have on the field. It's so fucking true. And how does that guy not have more question marks? What if the Bears are bad again? What if the Bears are, a, they're drafted in the top five again? Are the Bears going to trade out again? When you have guys like May, guys like Williams, guys like Jordan Travis, Bo Nix, you have this massive quarterback class. Are you really going to pass on another one after another mediocre year from Justin Fields where he didn't deliver wins for your team? Now, Justin Fields could be a rocket ship and it, it does matter. But it's, it, it, it's worth bearing that love isn't under that much pressure, and it's not going to be a one-and-done thing. And I realize I'm kind of tweaking, you know, Rossillo's question and, and Rossini's answer, but I, I really think it's about pressure, and it's about, like, this idea that it has to be this year or it's nothing. I just feel like a lot of teams are in that last-year stage in the NFC North, and the Packers aren't one of them. And if you did want to make that case, and you did want to talk about it in that way, I think the I think what you say is they're going to draft a quarterback early next year. They're going to draft a quarterback in the second or third round. They did it with Brian Brown. It's, they're going to run the exact same playbook. Unless Love is a rocket ship, which I've now said twice in like two minutes. But unless he's awesome. Unless he's just like, No notes, they'll still get drafted quarterback, but it'll be like fourth or fifth round, sixth round, maybe it won't be that early because they are like, All right, we we feel good, and they'll give them a big contract. The you know, the contract stuff's lightening up for Green Bay in 2024 and 2025, and I think that's purposeful. I think that's because they, they believe in Jordan Love, as do I, and football cannot get here soon enough. All right, let's wrap up today's show. With Giannis Antetokounmpo playing for Greece So a lot of speculation before the announcement that Giannis was playing for Greece national team For the FIBA World Cup coming up here, I believe in, I think it's in August Uh, But Giannis is going to play And a lot of people thought that Giannis would not play because he got the arthroscopic knee surgery uh, and it it just seemed like they were using that as a convenient excuse for Antetokounmpo to say, I'm not going to play for Greece and I'm going to rest my body, get ready for the NBA season. Giannis Antetokounmpo being one of the most loyal guys in professional sports, of course, is going to play for his national team. That is not a surprise to me at all. And you can question Giannis' loyalty, but you have to respect it. You can't ignore it. You can be mad about it. You can be upset that he doesn't take care of his body. But this is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Of course he's gonna play for his country. Why wouldn't he? That it's an opportunity to showcase Greece basketball. And Giannis Antetokounmpo wants to do that. He wants to be the leader for the Greek national team. Now the, the thing is, is no one would have faulted Giannis for not doing it in Greece. And no one would have said like hey you're a traitor for not playing in this. But Giannis doesn't think that way. Giannis doesn't his brain does not work in the in the sense of oh what will they you know they 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 will think less of me. They they won't they won't want me Giannis is always going to rep his country. He is never, unfortunately, going to probably have a carefree offseason where he doesn't actually have Greek obligations. These obligations are from Giannis Antetokounmpo. Kumbo. They're not necessarily from you know the, the Greek national coming down. It's not like South Korea making you join the military, like your son JM or Siwoo Kim or something like that. It's Giannis Kumbo's choice, and that's what he's doing. And I, I really think for those who question Antetokounmpo, you you just don't get it. You don't you you don't get you know what it's like to represent your country, to be proud, to be from Greece and be Grecian. I know that there might be people that say, well, if if Giannis, you know you know, wasn't a basketball player, they would be mean to him, they'd be racist to him, given like what you read in Miriam Favor's book. I understand that. I I, I totally get that. I totally hear you. But Giannis still looks as Greece as the opportunity, the reason why. He has everything. The reason why he has a mansion in River Hills. I don't even know if he lives there. I think he lives in Whitefish Bay. It doesn't matter. It's semantics. But it, why he has a mansion. Why he has a, a beautiful partner and kids. Why he is an, was an MVP. Why he won finals MVP. Why he dropped 50 points in the game six win against the Suns, which was the anniversary yesterday. Like, those are all things that Kumbo, you know, attributes to Greece and he is paying back Greece with playing it's not going to help his knee all right like straight up it's not but that's the price that we pay as Bucks fans and no one has been able to get in his ear and maybe they don't even try maybe it's understood that hey this is what Kumbo wants to do and you're not really going to stop him You can offer training tips, you can offer things to help him with his knee, but this is a risk that we are all going to have to take. And there is something admirable about it, right? You have so many NBA guys that skip out on playing for their country. And there are a variety of reasons why, right? I understand it's a lot to take on your body. I get it. I totally understand that. That said, there is something special about playing for your country. And I think that there are so many of us that would love to wear the Stars and Stripes. It's apropos that we're having this conversation when the Women's World Cup kicks off tonight. You know, there is something that it's hard to put a price on cheering for the USA, right? And cheering for your country and wanting your country to succeed. And that's really all what Antetokounmpo wants. Anakubo wants to be the face of Greece basketball. He already is, but he he wants to, you know, try to take it further, get Greece into the title game, get Greece, you know, get this shine on how Greece has developed as a basketball country because of not only him, but his brothers, Thanasis, Kostas. I think only Thanasis is on the team, by the way. But like they're, they, they, they just want to grow the game. And, I I just think we need to respect Giannis in that way and need to understand that this isn't changing. As much belly aching, as much bitching as we, we want to do on fucking Twitter, it's not going to change, so shut up. It's it's, it's done. It's, it's over, man. He's doing it. So we have to just embrace it. We have to also say our seven Hail Marys that he doesn't get hurt, that his knee doesn't get more fucked up. But if it does, it's the price we pay. And food for thought, Luka Doncic will be there. Nikola Jokic will be there. Victor Ramayama, I think is gonna be there, pretty sure. And why? They all love their country. And let's be honest, American guys could probably learn, learn some lessons there. And I, I don't mean to be all, good, you know, gun toed American, right? They could learn a lesson. Nah, I I just I just think that's something special man and we should we should respect that and we should understand that that is who Ante Kumbo is so let's put to bed anything about Ante kumbo in Greece because it's not gonna change anytime soon and nothing nothing we will say will change his mind all right that is the show for today hope you guys enjoyed it I had fun uh, it Big weekend for me. Not really. Uh, I don't have much weekend plans. I don't... Mitch has a show at the Four Seasons Skate Park. We should have probably shouted that out on Tabitha Keg yesterday. Uh, it's on like 25th uh, Street in the Menominee Valley, right by City Lights. I do not know when it starts. Uh, his band's Garden Home at, uh, WI on Instagram, so you can check that out. I wish we would talk talked about the two-year anniversary of the Bucks Championship, too. We missed that. Uh, I... It always sneaks up on me. I think it's because you know, obviously, because of the COVID year, it's not on the same you know time frame as regular championships. But obviously, getting to watch the review I did uh, was awesome. I posted it on all the socials: tapping the kayak on Twitter, tapping the sports Instagram, and TikTok. And just the celebration of it all was incredible, man. And it, you, when you watch it, like watch the video, it's like forty some seconds. And you're like, holy shit, I remember exactly that feeling. Like you cannot like take away that feeling from a sports fan. And it it would it makes sports so worth it, right? That just dream of doing it again, whether it's the Brewers, whether it's the Bucks, whether it's the Packers, whether it's Marquette basketball. I don't know if I'd feel the same way about badger football, honestly. I, I think I would. I think I'd get into it. But it's, not, it's on another tier. Uh, it, it just is. And I, I know there are some that are listening. They're like, I'd put Badger football there. I'd put Badger basketball there. Totally get it. Uh, but it, it's just, it's so, there's something so magical about it. And it's why you care. It's why you are a sports fan. You put up with all of it. There's a, I got I, I should find it. And maybe I'll, I'll dig for it and have it for Monday. There's a great Bob Ryan quote about this. Uh, and about why just, why we are sports fans and why just it matters. And Bob Ryan, you know, one of the best writers of you know the modern era in sports writing, uh, and just he really eloquently put it like just we put up with all the bullshit, basically. I'm paraphrasing because Bob doesn't really. I don't think he swears on Twitter, but basically we put up with all the bullshit just you know to chase that championship high, and it's it's great, and it'll never it'll never be forgotten. All right, we'll be back on Monday. Uh, we'll wrap up Brewers and Braves. we uh, get ready for the training camp. My dog is ready to need to log off here. So I have to go take care of that. Uh, we'll, we have Shannon with Keg Jams next week. So look forward to that. We'll obviously have Mitch again. So it'll be a big week next week. And we'll talk to you then. Take care, bye.